Welcome to the 209th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our review of the NBA and NHL playoffs, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. So let's jump right in. Start, as always, with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And Patrick is only predicting Major League Baseball series uh, at this time of the year. He went 1-3 and three with his Major League Baseball weekend series predictions. That means he went 1-3 and three combined, and it brings him to a 740 and 481 overall record, continuing to hover around that 60.5, between 60 and 61%, at 60.6% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Uh, I thought I had a decent week of predictions, despite the fact that I was 1-3. and three. I was down to the two top contenders in the AL right now, between the Rangers and the Rays. Um, I knew I had that one lost as soon as um, the Rangers lost the battle of Andrew Heaney and Tyler Glass. Now, I had a feeling that the Rangers were going to win the Eovaldi start and the or the Eovaldi-Taj Bradley matchup in terms of pitching. That was the Saturday game. Um, but I knew that, the, that McClanahan was going to be able to beat Martin Perez, and that was the Sunday matchup. So it basically came down to the game one winner was going to win this series. Um, in my opinion, and well, the Rays went out. They won Game One, eight to three. And at that moment, I kind of knew that I was that I was going to lose. You know, I obviously held out some hope that my pick could overcome having a unfavorable pitching matchup, but it didn't happen. Uh, the Rangers did win Game Two, eight to four, but then they lost Game Three of the series, seven to three. I will say it's only MLB for now, but I might do College World Series predictions next week, depending on when that starts. Um, and I know obviously that that actually has the right amount of games because it is four games in the first round, but um, that, that will probably be up there and I'll make my predictions on that. I mean, I did it with the NHL with probably not, I actually know probably more knowledge of the NHL than college world series, but somewhere around the same, uh, knowledge level, just kind of casually following it throughout the season. But that was the first loss of the week. We'll see what happens with the college world series and everything there. Um, but that bracket isn't even set yet. So we're not talking about that tonight, but we might talk about that next week. Anyway, the Pirates, they took two of three from the Mets. This was my only win of the week. Pretty easy one to predict. The Mets have just been bad recently, and it's pretty simple. Um, they played another game with a football score this week, losing 14-7 to on Friday, following up a 13-10 to overtime loss. Haha, <laughs> 10th inning loss, but same thing. Um, the Braves did walk it off with a field goal against them on Thursday with a three-run home run by Ozzie Albee, so it might as well have been a football game. Um, although the final game of the series, not really a football score. Two to one is definitely not something that you would see in a football game. Don't really think that's actually possible. Um, but then that was the only win. The Red Sox took two or three from the Yankees twice this weekend. Anthony Volpe came up to bat with a chance to win the game down three to two. Twice he did not succeed. I'm not putting the series on him because after all, he is their nine hitter right now for a reason. He has not had that great of a season uh, behind the plate doing a lot of great things on defense and base running, but not as a hitter. Uh, but look, Yankees failed to execute. They let the Red Sox tie the game up in the eighth inning. They were up 2-1 to one all the way from the bottom of the second until the top of the eighth. They let the Red Sox tie it up, didn't play the infield in, got a ground ball in the eighth, but they couldn't throw home because they weren't playing the infield in, which was a peculiar decision, if you ask me, to not play infield in up 2-1 to one in the eighth inning with second and third and one out. Um, not really understanding that logic whatsoever. Uh, but that's a different point. I wonder what Aaron Boone will have to say about that one later. Uh, and then the Red Sox, they executed. They got a sacrifice fly uh, that ended up scoring the run 
in the 10th inning, or excuse me, not the sacrifice fly itself, but they were able to move the run over with a ground out to the right side of the infield, and then Kike Hernandez hit a single uh, that allowed Adam Duvall to score, and that is how the Red Sox got their run. The Yankees did get a sack fly in the bottom of the 10th, but then two strikeouts in a row uh, by Jose Trevino and Anthony Volpe, and that meant that the Red Sox took that game of the series. They took the first game of the series, 3-2, Volpe missed a walk-off three-run home run by mm, probably 8 to 10 feet uh, foul, but in the end, that doesn't really matter. They ended up losing, um, and then the Yankees did win game two, but that was all they could get in the series. And then finally, the Twins took two of three from the Blue Jays, and, you know, this is the reason why I said I felt overall okay about this, because I feel like I could have gone two and two pretty easily. And also, the Blue Jays came into this series having won four games, or excuse me, three games in a row with one loss to the Astros mixed in and four wins before that game. So seven of their last eight going into the series. Meanwhile, the Twins are just honestly, I don't want to, I don't want to be rude to the Twins, but first of all, they had lost five games in a row heading into the series. And they also just in general, aren't that great of a team. They're, they're an average team. That is what they are. They shouldn't be leading a division. They shouldn't be in a, they should not be in the playoff race whatsoever, but their division is horrible. So they're leading it. Um, but the fact of the matter is, I'm not going to pick a team losing five games in a row heading into a series over a team that's won seven out of eight before a series. That's just nonsensical. So, you know, it just so happened that the Twins happened to get some stuff going back in their in their favor this weekend, and they were able to pull out the win uh, on Friday in extra innings over the Blue Jays, and then they blew a six-run lead on Sunday. So clearly still not showing the signs of a top team not being able to put away those types of games, but at the same time, I'm not going to predict a team that's on a five-game losing streak heading into the weekend, so I'll take the two losses on those ones, and then, you know, the Rays and the Rangers was actually a pretty good battle. All right, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted, as always, on our website, 4thand24.com on Thursday, and we will see if they include our first-ever College World Series predictions, either either men or women's first time. I guess that mystery will be revealed uh, next Thursday on the website. Now let's change gears and move over to our weekly look at the NBA. Of course, we are in NBA Finals action, where the Nuggets lead the Heat now three games to one. Patrick? Well, the Nuggets were able to go out and win game three. We actually talked about game one and game two last week, but a very odd NBA scheduling thing. Obviously, we're recording this, releasing it before Monday's uh, game five, which could be the final game in the series. Uh, But... NBA only having one game in the span of a week, which is interesting to me, but, you know, it is what it is. The schedule just happened to shake out that they played Monday, Thursday, Sunday. We recorded after the Monday game before, and then it ended up being that we have two games on either side of the podcast, which probably works out well. Um, if if this series does somehow get, well, I guess it doesn't matter. Game seven is on a Sunday, so we'll do it after that, obviously. Um, but going back to that game three, it was the Nuggets who came out on top, 109-94. to Really, Game 3 and Game 4 were pretty similar games. The Heat did not really... I don't want to say they didn't stand a chance in these games, but they just weren't really up to the challenge of how well the Nuggets were playing. In this game, it was fueled by Christian Brown off the bench and then Jokic and Murray just going crazy. Um, Nikola Jokic had the first 30-20-10 game in NBA Finals history uh, on 12-21 shooting in 44 minutes. Just an insane performance by the Joker. And then Jamal Murray had 34, 10, and 10 on 12 of, tw- of, on 12 of 22 shooting. If he did that on 12 of 12 shooting, he definitely should have shot more. Uh, but 
Look, first pair of teammates to ever have 30-point triple-doubles alongside each other, I think in NBA Finals history. It might be in NBA Playoffs history. I'm not quite sure. I know it was one of the two. Um, I'm 100% sure it was in Finals history, at least. Jokic definitely thir- first 30-20-10 in the Finals. Um, and then Aaron Gordon also had 11-10 and 10, uh, and five assists as well, so good game by him. Michael Porter did not get it going shooting in this game. It was 0-2 from 3. Contavious Caldwell Pope was 0-3 from 3. Uh, the never the Denver Nuggets as a team were 28% from three uh, overall. So just, you know, when the Nuggets are winning games shooting less than 30% from three on the road, it is really not a good sign for Miami. And uh, that ended up continuing um, throughout the series. But I also want to give a special shout out to Christian Brown for putting up 15 points uh, on seven of eight shooting off the bench in just 19 minutes, had two offensive rebounds as well, just played with a lot of effort in this game. Uh, what he was brought in to do as a draft pick out of Kentucky, or sorry, out of Kansas, Bam is out of Kentucky, and that was my next thought. Bam out of bio on the other end of things, not having such a great game. Jimmy Butler did add 28 points on 11 of 24 shooting, but that's just not efficient enough when the team as a whole is going to shoot 31% um, from three. Vincent was one of six. Struess was one of four. Kyle Lowry was one of four. The best percentage shooter on the team was Duncan Robinson at three of six from three. And then you have Kevin Love who shot two of five and everybody else shot uh, at least 25% from from three or worse, which is really bad. Um, and in the end, they just had a lack of scoring. Cody Martin had 10 off the bench, or excuse me, Caleb Martin had 10 off the bench. Cody Martin has been sitting at home in Charlotte the whole postseason. Uh, Duncan Robinson had those nine points on those three of six, on those three threes. Uh, and then Butler had the 28, but Bam Adebayo, 22 points and 17 rebounds looks great if you don't look at the shooting numbers. The problem is he shot 7 of 21 from the field. That is nowhere near as efficient as he needs to be as a big man. Jokic taking one, taking the same amount of shots, ending up with 10 points more and also still out-rebounding him and also adding in those 7 assists. So Jokic just, I mean, obviously Bam is not supposed to be a, cal- a player of the caliber of Nikola Jokic, but... He's clearly being outclassed in these finals, despite what people might have thought could have been a good matchup um, going into the series. And then in Game 4, it was really kind of more of the same. Jokic was not as dominant in this game, but he still had 23-12-4. Really, the dominant factor in this game was Aaron Gordon. Uh, He had 27.7 rebounds and 6 assists. He definitely was the best Nuggets player in this game. 11-15 of shooting as well. Michael Porter still did not make a 3 in this game. 11 points on 4 of 10 shooting, 0 for 3 from 3. Jamal Murray had 15 points and 12 assists, but as he mentioned, didn't really get a shot going, so he had to stop shooting, took 17 shots in the end. But it was Bruce Brown, not Christian Brown this time, who had a good game off the bench. Uh, 21 points for him, 3 of 5 from 3, 8 of 11 from the field. Overall, the Nuggets shot 50% from 3. Jokic was 3 of 7. Aaron Gordon was 3 of 4, which is surprising because he's not really supposed to be a shooter. Uh, Jamal Murray was 2 for 3, despite the fact that he was... 3 for 14 from 2. Very, very odd shooting splits there. Uh, But then on the other side of things, Bam was a little more efficient, but a little less aggressive. Had 20 points, but on 8 of 19 shooting, so improved shooting numbers, but less points overall. He had 11 rebounds as well. Jimmy Butler had 25 points on 9 of 17 shooting, but the Heat just couldn't get enough threes this time to get above Denver, uh, getting all their threes and making them. Heat shooting 32% from 3 is just not going to be enough for them to beat Uh, The Nuggets, Nuggets shooting 50% as well from three, which was a very big deal in this game. Uh, You have Kyle Lowry, who had 12 points on three of five, shooting from three. Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, again, combining for horrible shooting stats. Last game, it was, I think, two for 10 combined. This game, it was 0 for 7 combined. 
Duncan Robinson had a solid game off the bench. He had 12 points and 3 assists on 2 of 4 from 3, 5 of 7 from the field. Caleb Martin also had 11 off the bench. Kyle Lowry had 13 off the bench, but overall just not enough to balance out the fact that Bruce Brown almost single-handedly outscored Robinson and Martin combined off the bench for Denver, so they had more than enough bench production. And then in the Battle of the Stars, Jokic and Murray might have been outclassed in this game by Butler and Adebayo, but Aaron Gordon on his own outscored the entire rest of the Heat starting five. So that And, and he actually doubled them up. They had 14 points between Love, Vincent, and Struess, and Aaron Gordon had 27 on his own. So not quite doubling them up, but close enough. It's just the comparison has been the fringe players, really, throughout the series. Um, even when the Nuggets stars have outplayed the Heat, the bench players and the role players have also outplayed the Heat's role players anyway, and the really the only game where that didn't happen was in Game 2, and that's the reason why they were able to... That, that's the only reason why the Heat actually won that game, in my opinion. Uh, it's because their role players stepped up, and they played a good game. Um, you know, that game, they had uh, Gabe Vincent put up 23, and Max Schroes put up 14. But if you look at the game logs for those two since, then you have Max Struess, uh in Game 4 only zero points uh in game one zero points in game three three points so that's the one win for them was when max drew said 13 and then also gabe vincent same story he had two points in game four seven points in game three in game one he did put up 19 points but then in game but it it was much more efficient in game two and he had 23 in game two as i mentioned so those two combining for 37 in that game but barely combining for more than 37 in the entire rest of the series that just goes to show you what the problem is for the Heat. And even then, even with that role player explosion for the Heat, they won that game by three points. So the Nuggets are just clearly the better team. And I mean, again, this is kind of what happens when you get a one seed versus an eight seed. This is what a first round series between the one and a team from the play-in is supposed to look like. And it just so happens that this time around, the Heat got things to go their way. They beat Giannis. I know he was injured, but they had Tyler Hero injured in that same series. Giannis did play a few games in that series. The Heat were able to make a miraculous run to get here, but now that they've gotten here, they've kind of run out of gas, and it really does look like we're watching a one seed play an eight seed. It just feels like that's what we're watching, and the fact of the matter is, that is what we're watching. So maybe it isn't. Maybe it shouldn't be too surprising that these finals were maybe not as close as people might have anticipated considering how well the Heat were playing going into the series. Yeah, and maybe not as close as people anticipated after the Heat stole a game at Denver and it was 1-1 and, oh, it's going to be a close series and here are my predictions of Denver in seven or Denver in six looked like an accurate prediction. Uh, really looks like, as you said, it's going to be Denver in five, which is probably what most people would predict in a one versus eight series. All right, well... I think uh, we did predict the Heat to lose to the Bucks probably in five games, maybe... Maybe you probably picked the Bucks to sweep, but I gave the Heat a game as a gentleman sweep, I but I don't know. Heat, but we're not going to go back. I don't think you picked the Heat. But, uh, all right, well, let's move on to um, another uh, finals in a conference, finals in a sport, um, the NHL Stanley Cup finals, which are also three games to one with the Las Vegas Golden Knights leading the Florida Panthers. This series is at the same point in the series as the Heat series is, but the difference is... There was only one game uh, played before our last podcast in this series, and, you know, the only comment we made about how it might predict going forward is that Vegas might not have played their best game in Game 1 of this series, and yet they still won that game 5-2. to two. And in Game 2, they might have played their best game. They ended up winning Game 2 7-2. to two. I think this is the best that they have played in the series. I, I Actually, I don't think. I'm pretty confident that it was. 
by far the biggest margin. They came out on fire, scored the first four goals of the game. Marcheseau on a power play. Uh, Martinez in the first period getting his first goal of the playoffs. Roy getting his second. Ben Howden getting his fourth. And it wasn't, yes, the Panthers did score 14 seconds into the third period. Maybe start to seize a little bit of momentum back. But then right back again, it was Marcheseau scoring to make it 5-1. to one. You know, at that point, that game was just already over. I mean, it's really just, the fact of the matter is, um, Vegas just outplayed Florida in every facet of the game in Game 2. Forced Bobrovsky to be pulled because he had 13 shots put against him and was only able to save 9 of them. Um, but I don't really think any, I don't think Alex Lyon would have done any better. And he didn't really, when he came in, he had 15 shots against him and gave up three goals himself. Uh, so Florida went back to Bobrovsky in game three, game three did go the Panthers way. It went in their way in overtime. Um, once again, Panthers just very, very scrappy, always, always winning these overtime games. It feels like every single time there's a close game, Matthew Kachuk comes up clutch and this team is able to pull it out. Uh, it started with a Braden Monter goal in the first period. Mark Stone equalized on a power play for Vegas. Marcheseau scored on a power play, his third goal in in games two and game three of the series. I almost said the last three games, but obviously there was a game four as well, and I'm not quite sure if he scored. I don't remember. Uh, but then Matthew Kachuk, with two minutes and 13 seconds left, uh, was able to get the goal for the Panthers, send this game to overtime, avoid it going down three to nothing, and Carter Verhage ended up putting it away in overtime to really seal that fate. Um, but that was all Florida was going to get for now. Vegas able to rebound, win game four. Uh, they scored the first two goals were both by Stevenson for Vegas, his ninth and tenth goals of the postseason. Carlson scored to make it three to nothing, and it really felt like it was over at that moment. But Florida did not stop battling Braden Monter with another goal to make it uh, three to one, and then Alexander Barkov with the goal to make it 3-2 to two very early on in the third period. A long, long uh, set of empty net attempts by Florida, uh, but no goals there. And also, just in general, Florida still has not scored on a power play in this series, which obviously has been a big, big key. Um, I think they're 0-13 now on the power play. Uh, so we, we also said, you know, Vegas didn't play their best game, but then the other thing I pointed out was that they needed to score on a power play and get, you need to take advantage of those opportunities, especially when you're playing a better team. Um, and Florida just hasn't done that. And they've done that all postseason as well. They have not been amazing on the power play, uh, but they've scored enough. And they, I mean, frankly, they've scored a lot of shorthanded goals as well, but they just haven't quite had that same magic that they've had in other games uh, in this series. It looks like it might've come back when they won game three in overtime and then almost made that comeback from down 3-0 in game four. Uh, they definitely made it interesting in the series. It's still been really fun to watch and really scrappy too, but it still wasn't enough in the end. The Panthers didn't quite have that magic to win both games at home. And I'm not quite sure how they're going to be able to come back from this 3-1 deficit. All right, well, that wraps up our look at uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, Stanley Cup finals for this week. Uh, we'll turn our attention to them again next week, but let's uh, turn our attention now to our weekly look at Major League Baseball. If there was a crowd here, they could say, starting as always in the American League East. Well, you start in the American League East. You also start with the Tampa Bay Rays. I, I feel like there's not been a single week this year where the Tampa Bay Rays have not been the first team mentioned on the podcast. Maybe I'll just throw the Yankees in there as the second place team, or there may be the Orioles. Maybe I have said the Orioles once before the Rays, saying that they've gotten close. But look, 
We know the Tampa Bay Rays are in the lead. I just want to look at their lineup for a second, and you realize that this team is just off the charts offensively. There is really nothing. I mean, a team OPS of 811. I bet I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go search for it now. I bet I'll find someone later in the podcast who has that. But that that number, if you're a good defender, if you're an above average defender, an 811 OPS will get you to the All Star game. Seriously. But this is a whole team of players doing that. Uh, Yandy Diaz has a 953 OPS. Luke Rayleigh has a 929 OPS. Randy Orozarena has an 894 OPS. Uh, Josh Lowe is 889. Harold Ramirez 867. Wander Franco 846. Isak Paredes 829. And Jose Siri 805. That is eight players in their lineup that they can put in there any day that are above an 800 OPS. And once again, that is not that is not average. Those are not just a bit above average numbers. Those are numbers that if you have the name and if you have the reputation. I mean, if there's, you know, Mookie Betts, a Justin Turner, anybody who's been in the league for a while, I know it's named two former Dodgers, but really Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, any of those guys, if they had eight plus 800 or 800 plus OPSs um, over the course of a season before the All-Star break and were playing their normal level on defense, they would be a lock for the All-Star game. Uh, the Rays are probably only going to get three or four of those guys in. I would assume Diaz, Rosarena, and probably Wander Franco. Um, because Franco has been amazing defensively and leads this team in war by a mile, despite the OPS gap. Um, but, you know, they're also kind of the everyday players because the Rays are just so good that they have the luxury of being 68 games into the season, and Harold Ramirez has not played in 17 of their games, despite the fact that he would probably lead maybe six or seven teams in OPS, honestly. Uh, it, it's just insane what this team throws out. Uh, every day, and I'm done putting the Rangers at number one in my power rankings, as I did for a few weeks, just to kind of change it up, because uh, they were on a big hot streak. But now it is the Rays; they claim their rightful spot again. They were nine and ten for for you know a two and a half week span, so I think the Rangers deserve to take that spot for a little bit. But the Rays now just the overall gap plus uh, the series victory over the weekend, and the fact that just again this team's just the stats are off the charts, and that's not even including Brandon Lau having. A rough season, and it still doesn't matter just because of how good the rest of this team is. So, 48 and 20 record, a plus 140 run differential. The Rangers still do have a better run differential than the than the Rays after this weekend, but uh, that is a conversation for later. In second place in the division, you have the Baltimore Orioles at 41 and 24. They're creeping up on the Rangers for best record uh, in or second best record in the American League. It's almost like it has to be a race between second place at this point. It's not really anybody fighting with the Rays. I think they've kind of established that position. Uh, but at the plus 38 run differential, they have won four games in a row. They are 6-4 and four in their last 10. Uh, weekend sweep against the Royals after losing a series against the Brewers. Uh, they won their series before that against the Giants, who have been playing well recently. So Orioles cruising merrily along. And then you have the Ray, sorry, excuse me, you have the Yankees, who just lost the series to the Red Sox, as we mentioned earlier, talked about some of their struggles. Aaron Judge now on the IL. It's interesting now there's kind of a race to see who can if anybody can get to the top of the home run leaderboard, Judge has uh, a one home run head start on Max Muncy, and uh, Pete Alonso has a four home run head start on Muncy, and some other guys are also up there as well. Uh, Mookie Betts has 16 or 17 at this point, and those two on the IL, so there's kind of a race. All the guys who have been fighting for third place this whole year, Adelise Garcia is kind of in that mix as well, uh, who we'll talk about in a second. All those guys are now having a chance to get in first because Alonso's going to be out of about a month, and Judge is out for at least, I think, I think he's on the 15-day IL, so at least another two weeks or so. Then you have the Blue Jays, who are 37-30. and 30. They were the hottest team in baseball, arguably, uh, outside of the Rangers for a while, but 
calmed down over the weekend, did lose a series, but they're still 7-3 and three in their last 10, still doing pretty well in the standings. They would be a half a game back of the Astros for the final wildcard spot if the series, sorry, if the season were to end today, but they would just be a half game back of them and then a game back of the Yankees, so not that big of a differential at all. Um, and then you have the Red Sox, who they're a respectable team. Um, they would be leading the Central if they were in the Central. Unfortunately, they're in the AL East, so they're in last. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about uh, a team really quick um, that you don't talk about to give some perspective on the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League East. The Oakland A's, who you will not talk about or you haven't talked about, are so abysmal that you don't talk about them because they have a 17-50 and 50 record. 17 wins and 50 losses. They won if five they, in a row, though. After winning five in a row. If you were to flip that around and they were to be 50-17, and 17, completely be as great as they are awful right now, Tampa Bay Rays would be two and a half games behind them. Just un- that just tells you how good the Tampa Bay Rays are, is that they're the opposite of how atrocious Oakland is. All right, let's move to the AL Central. Well, the only thing that would make that any more impressive is if somehow before the win streak, the A's were like that. But you stole my thunder there because I was going to actually talk about them this week for well, you once. you still can. You can, you can take I, a rare opportunity to compliment them this year. I will give them a compliment, but the compliment will be backhanded because I'll be talking about the teams who got swept by them, as a matter of fact, because... That team is embarrassing right now, but I'll get to that later. That that team actually not even in the American League, which is even more embarrassing. But Minnesota Twins, they are 33-33. and 33. Uh, They are in this division, but in that counterpart, there's my little hint there. Um, if you are in a central division, you're bad. It's just that simple. I mean, it's been that way for a while, honestly. Uh, you know, I was thinking about, has the central always been this bad? The AL central? Has the NL central always been this bad? And then I remembered that a few years ago, the Cubs and the Marlins was a postseason matchup in 2020 with the Cubs hosting as the division leaders. And the Marlins were not that good that year, and they still beat the Cubs in the playoffs. Meanwhile, the Dodgers were playing the Brewers in that wild card that year. They easily disposed of that team. I, the Central Division, and that was when, by the way, there were the, the geographical limits and you only played teams within your um, location in interleague and then within your division. And I really forgot just how bad the Central was because they got to play each other that season, so it kind of drowned out a little bit. And then in 2021, obviously, um, you know, some of these teams were okay. The Brewers were a little bit better. They 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 came on strong at the end of the year. They were a dark horse pick to win the World Series by a few people. Uh, and the White Sox weren't yet in their choking phase yet. But then you take 2020 and you kind of eliminate the end of 2021 and you look at the postseason in 2021 and beyond— the White Sox got embarrassed by the Astros. No other team made the playoffs from the AL Central that year. Um, Cleveland didn't look that great in the postseason last year either in 2022. And St. Louis definitely didn't. They lost in the wildcard series at home. They had the worst record of a division leader. And then they got, obviously, booted out of the playoffs by the Phillies, who went on a miraculous run after that um, to the NLCS and actually to the World Series. But really putting things in perspective, both of the Central divisions have been really bad for a long time. Um, and that's just a fact. Um, and I really think that it's going to show even more this year because you play less games within your division. So you're not going to have the Guardians maybe, say, you know, 650, a 700 winning percentage against their division, and that's 19 games against four different teams, which, you know, is about it's 76 over the course of the year. That's a big chunk of your schedule. But now it's only 12 games per team, and instead, that 76 goes to 48. It'll be a lot more noticeable how much worse um, these teams actually are when they don't get to just play each other <laughs> as much as they have in the past. And speaking of being worse, uh, the Guardians, only one and a half games back of the Twins, sitting at 31-34. and 34. It is exactly what I talked about the whole year. 
As soon as Tristan McKenzie came back, this team was going to be fine, and as long as they could get some offense going. Um, and they got the offense going this weekend. They beat the Astros 10-9 to in a 14-inning game. They had 10 runs against the Red Sox before uh, that at the end of that series. They have won 4 of 5 um, and 6 of 7 as well. Um, I believe McKenzie made his return against the Twins at some point last week. Um, and then after that, I, th- I don't know if he's actually made another start. Um, Shane Bieber, though, went 7 innings scoreless uh, today. Uh, Tristan McKenzie did lose a game to the Astros over the weekend, but still having him back is a big deal uh, for them, and I think that'll continue going forward, and they will play their 31-34 and counterparts, the San Diego Padres, uh, at the beginning of this week, which is surprising that both of those teams are 31-34, and but uh, we'll see what happens in the Josh Bell Revenge Series. Um, Then the White Sox are at 29-38. and They have lost two in a row. They're still 6-4 and in their last 10, though, uh, after taking a series from the Yankees before that. And then you have the bottom of this division, uh, the White Sox also playing the Dodgers. So a lot of AL Central versus NL West this week. We'll see how that turns out. Uh, but then you have the Tigers um, and the Royals. They have combined to go 2-18 and 18 in their last 20 games, or I guess last 10 games each. Um, they have lost a combined 15 games in a row. The Tigers, uh, much to the dismay of many Dodgers fans, got swept by the Diamondbacks over the weekend. The Royals uh, got swept, I believe I already mentioned this, by the Orioles. They also got swept by the Marlins before that. The Marlins are now tied with the Dodgers in the NL wildcard standings, believe it or not. The Phillies swept the Tigers earlier, and then the White Sox, if you want to know how they were 6-4 in their last 10, well, they got to play the Tigers, so they swept them earlier. Three straight series sweeps over the Tigers. Um, They, again, White Sox, Phillies, Diamondbacks played those three teams. Uh, Only the Diamondbacks uh, of those teams above 500 and did not manage to register a single win uh, after being 26 and 28, which wasn't even that bad. They were they were on a good pace, and then all of a sudden, nine losses in a row, and now it's looking ugly, but they're still not as ugly as the Kansas City Royals, who are now only a few games ahead of the A's for the best, sorry, for the worst record uh, in baseball, or I guess for the second best, second worst record in baseball, just two games ahead uh, of the A's after their recent uh, crazy streak that I guess we'll talk about in maybe two or three minutes. All right, well, let's move over to the American League West. We're going to talk about the Oakland A's, I guess. Yeah, I'll get there eventually. But, you know, I talked about the Rangers already. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. I'm not really concerned about them losing a series to the Rays. Don't really care. They're 41-23, and 23, still the second-best record in the AL, still the best overall winning percentage outside of the Rays. It's funny because every statistical category is basically outside of the Rays. Um, the one team who has the Rays in anything, I think, is the Dodgers who lead them in home runs. But Rangers other than run differential. Yeah, the Rangers do have them in run differential, and the and I think the Dodgers have the Rays in home runs, but other than that, I think the Rays pretty much lead in every offensive category, and most of defensive category, and most pitching categories as well, although I know the Yankees have the best bullpen ERA in the league, which is pretty good for them. Uh, but then you have the Astros. They're starting to do Astros things. They are 4-6 and six in their last 10 because the Guardians were able to take that series from them over the weekend. A good series, by the way, played by the Guardians. I don't know why I didn't predict that series, but... I guess because the Guardians ended the weekend a few games under 500, and I honestly thought it would be a little bit of a mismatch yeah, um, with the Astros. Wrong, so. Yeah, I definitely would have gotten it wrong. Um, it honestly, on paper, was a mismatch, so I'm I'm okay with not picking that. I mean, I guess it's kind of similar in my mind to the Dodgers Philly series that went down in the NL East, NL West, and we'll talk about that in a second. Also, uh, but then you have the Angels; they are six and a half back of the Rangers, one and a half games back of Houston, 36 and 31. I'd like to say they're getting it together. I'd like to say they're in position to make the wild card, but they're still 
there are still four teams that are actually clearly superior to the Angels that are ahead of them in the standings. Baltimore, New York, Houston, and Toronto, I think, are just better teams than the Angels. So it's really hard to see the path for the Angels to make the playoffs. And right now, the Blue Jays aren't even in the playoffs. They're a half game out, and the A's are, and the Angels are still behind them. So I don't really know how that happens, how they get there. And the Mariners could even play better down the stretch. As I mentioned a lot, the Twins are going to kind of maybe... Twins and the Red Sox as well are going to kind of maybe, you know, congest this AL wildcard race as well. The Twins, if they're able to get knocked off the top of the division, and then the Red Sox, if they just manage to play better by the end of the year. Um, but the Angels still 6-4 and four in their last 10, pretty positive. But then you have the Mariners. They really need to figure it out soon because the AL is too deep to be under 564 games in the year, which is what they are. They are 31-33, and 10 games back of the Rangers, a few games back in the wildcard. They have a negative run differential. Um, not very good for them, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Finally, the best record in the last five games in this division, the best record in the last week, it is the Oakland A's. They have won five games in a row. The Pirates, the Pirates have played well this season, um, and they've been a good team all year long, and yet the A's, they rebounded. They got uh, game one of that series taken from them, 5-4, to four, and then they put up 11 runs and 9 runs back-to-back on the Pirates to take that series on the road. The Pirates now still above 534 and 30 on the year. So it's not like they beat a terrible team. It's not like the Pirates of the past. And this is obviously after getting swept by the Marlins. So, you know, the A's did do A's things before this losing streak, before this winning streak. But then they swept the Brewers. They actually took on the NL Central. And this is, by the way, this is the ultimate sign of how bad the Central is. The NL Central's top two teams just played six games against the A's. And the A's went 5-1 and one in that span. I don't think there's any other division that that would happen in because, look, I get it, sure. Maybe it's just circumstantial, maybe it's situational, whatever you want to say. I don't think the Twins and the Guardians are going 1-5 and five against the A's, honestly. And I know for a fact that the Braves and the Marlins aren't going to do it because even though the Braves did lose a series at Oco earlier this year, and I think they're the only team to lose a series on the road against the A's this year, but... The Marlins did just sweep the A's, so we have proof that that wouldn't happen. I highly doubt that the Dodgers or the Diamondbacks would lose a series to the A's, and I really hope that the Dodgers don't, because that would make me go crazy. Uh, but, look, the A's deserve their credit. Um, they won They won a game in 10 innings, and really, a- as crazy as it is to, to, to say, that team's ERA has been so bad the entire year that to see them go through the two best teams in the Central and give up Five runs, two runs, five, two, one, and six. It's honestly not that bad. I mean, their ERA in the season has been sitting at around six as a team. So for them to only give up a maximum of six runs, it's honestly not as bad as it definitely could be. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say that the A's, they, they've started to look better this week. Um, I don't think that means they're, they're going to be good going forward because the fact of the matter is, well, you heard me say that six runs was probably good for them to give up. They're team ERA on the season is 6.4. So, I mean, for them to give up six runs or under every game of a week is a pretty good sign for them. But at the same time, their hitting is not that bad overall. It it, it has been not amazing, but it's not the worst. Um, their pitching staff just has been so bad, though. But this is the proof that, look, they only need their pitching staff to just not be the worst pitching staff easily in all of baseball to at least be semi-competitive. Um, but the problem is their pitching staff is easily the worst staff in baseball, and that is why they're still not semi-competitive. Yeah, maybe word just didn't leak into the NL Central about how bad the A's were. Uh, I don't know. All right, let's uh, 
Let's move over to the National League, starting in the East. Well, if you want to talk about bad, you're not going to find it in this division, except for with the Mets. Uh, the Braves, they are at first place, 8-2 and two in their last 10. Um, I think my favorite stat of the week, I think so, I forget who said it, but I saw it somewhere that there was a point where the Phillies had won, uh, I believe, six games in a row, or at least five in a row. Uh, no, they had won six games in a row, and they made up a grand total of zero games in the division lead because the Braves had also won six in a row in the same time frame, which is just ridiculous. Um, obviously, the Phillies able to climb up to third with that stretch, but the Braves at 40-25 and 25 with the best record in the National League tied with the Diamondbacks. Um, they have the best run differential in the National League now. They are 8-2 and two in their last 10, like I said. Just overall, a solid team. I mean, yeah, sure, the Nationals took one game from them. That's amazing. But they beat the Diamondbacks last week in a series. I think you can firmly say right now that the Braves are the best team in the National League until the Dodgers get stuff together again because the Dodgers do have the series over the Braves, but the Braves have the series over the Diamondbacks, and the Diamondbacks have the series over the Dodgers. So there's kind of a little triangle going on there. It's really hard to determine who the best team in the National League is other than the fact that that team definitely isn't in the NL Central. Um, I think that's one thing that everybody can agree on, no matter who you are. Uh, But speaking of the NL Central, well, the Marlins, they would be leading the NL Central in the same way that every team in the American League East would be leading the AL Central. But the Marlins would have a commanding lead if they were in the Central because they are 37-29 and on the season, the third best record in the National League tied with the Dodgers. It's the Diamondbacks and the Braves, and then it's the Dodgers and the Marlins. Those are... That's how the records break down in terms of division leaders in second place. Um, and then in that wild card chase, if you will, for, you know, 60 games in the season, which is, can't talk about the wild card when there's still 100 games left in the season. There are literally, what, seven full NFL seasons left in the MLB season. So you can't quite talk about the wild card just yet. But you can talk about the fact that Luis Arias is tearing it up. Um, both those teams, actually, that I just talked about, actually, all those teams have some pretty good hitters. All the leaders in average from the Marlins, the Dodgers, or the Braves. Acuna's hitting 331. Freddie Freeman is hitting 338. Really going under the radar with how good of a year he's having, honestly, um, in my opinion. And then you have Luis Arias, who's hitting 397. And look, Freddie Freeman would easily win a batting title in any other year, just because 338 is a really good number. And to put it up with the power that he does is amazing. But you have Arias hitting 397. There's a better chance that Arias hits 400 than Freeman coming within, I'd say, 45 points of Arias' season average, honestly. Um, He's just so far above the rest of the league in terms of bat-to-ball skills, and he also doesn't try to do too much. He knows he doesn't have power, and he doesn't swing for it as a result. He's just there to spray baseballs around the diamond. You can't shift him. He's going to put the ball where there aren't people. No matter how you make micro-adjustments in your defense, he will find the holes. Um, And as a result, he has kind of allowed the Marlins to get just enough run support in some of those close games that despite a minus 20 run differential, they have the same record as the team with a plus 62 run differential, uh, that being the Dodgers. And then you have the Phillies. They took the weekend series from the Dodgers. They are 7-3 and three in their last 10, playing good baseball recently. Key to that uh, is Trey Turner. He has gone from probably the worst lead- leadoff hitter in the league, maybe, um, looking like one of the worst contracts in a while, to all of a sudden having a pretty good month. Um, able to get a lot of hits in this Dodgers series, three-hit game today, um, and just overall raising his season numbers, looking a lot better. He still has a 687 OPS on the season, though, which is pretty bad, 148th among qualified batters. Um, and it's not like, you know, there are guys who will hit 248 and then make up for it with their power. You know, Kyle Schwarber is a good example of that. He's hitting 171 on the year, but a 430 slug and 17 home runs will make you forget about that 171 average. 
Trey Turner only hitting 248 on the year, and he only has seven home runs. So it's not like he has sacrificed um, some of his on-base ability to hit for power more. He's really just not having a good season, but he's starting to turn it around. Um, and if he's able to continue that, considering they have Harper back early, considering they have Castellanos, considering their pitching staff is pretty good, um, and considering that their bullpen has been not as bad as it normally is, they should have a good chance to be pretty good, maybe make uh, the wild card and see if they can make some noise from there. This team, on the other hand, not looking good at all. The Mets, they are fully healthy, but they are fully bad. They are 2-8 and eight in their last 10. As I said, lost a bunch of football scores over the course of the last week. And that is something that they shouldn't be doing considering they have Kodai Senga, they have Justin Verlander, uh, they have Max Scherzer. They just haven't pitched well. Scherzer gave up a bunch of runs. Verlander gave up a bunch of runs to the Braves. Just overall, you know, that 14-7 game uh, was a Tyler McGill start. Okay, you can say, yeah, that guy's not that great of a starter. Uh, but that game that the Braves ended up winning 13-10, that was Justin Verlander on the mound, only making it through three innings in that game. Game before, they lost 7-5. to That game was started by Scherzer, who gave up five and two-thirds on 11 hits in five and five earned runs. Uh, I said he gave up five and two-thirds. He gave up five runs in five and two-thirds innings. So just overall... Not getting the pitching that they need, and with Pete Alonso now on the IL, this team really is going to have some trouble staying afloat because he has been the engine of their offense really for years now. Um, and then in last place in the division, you have the Nationals. They're a respectable last place team. They don't deserve the bashing that uh, Oakland or that, you know, Kansas City gets or even the Cardinals for that matter because they're just underachieving so much. But still not a great team. Uh, they had a few good weeks and then now all of a sudden 3-7 and seven in their last 10, so they've really calmed down recently. Okay, let's move over to your uh, favorite power division, the Central. Ah, uh, yes, the division where the Pittsburgh Pirates have a plus-two run differential and are leading the division. Um, they are 7-3 and three in their last 10. Honestly, this is a solid team. Uh, if you were to say that everything is going to go crazy this year um, and there are going to be so many PED suspensions in the NL East and NL West and AL East and AL West that we're just going to have the Central divisions scrap it out in the playoffs— I think the Pirates would win the series between the Pirates and the Twins. That that World Series, I think, would go the Pirates' way. Um, neither of those teams are making the World Series, though. Um, frankly, there's a good chance that neither of them make the playoffs, or at least that one of them doesn't. Um, there are still some talented teams down in the rest of the NL Central. Um, and speaking of talented teams, let me skip over the Brewers for a second because they don't fit that criteria. Uh, the Reds, 31-35, and 35, only four games back in the division. They've won two in a row. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 and they have maybe the best infield in this division, I think you could still probably give the edge to the Cardinals. But Spencer Steer has come up. He is a dark horse candidate for NL Rookie of the Year. He's at least second or third place at this point. Definitely Corbin Carroll in first. Uh, but Jonathan India has had a good season. And then behind that, you have the prospects coming up. Matt McLean making a big impact on the season. And now finally, Ellie De La Cruz coming up. He is having a pretty, pretty good start uh, to his MLB career. Had a few very, very hard hit balls against the Dodgers. He has eight hits in his first 22 at-bats, which means that he is batting 364, has a 1,118 OPS in his first six games. So a small sample size, but the fact of the matter is he might be the fastest player in the league and also has the hardest hit ball in the league. Um, he is basically what, you know, a lot of people thought he was O'Neill Cruz light going into the season. I don't think he's O'Neill Cruz light. I think he's better than O'Neill Cruz, and he's just basically a carbon copy of him. Um, but just a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say that they're going to go like Sosa and Maguire or anything like that, but it is interesting that you have those two beasts in the NL Central with that similar build of uber speed and power while also being 6'7", 
and also playing a prime uh, defensive position at shortstop and doing that pretty well. And then I'll go back to the Brewers. Um, I think they deserve to be skipped over in second place, though. I never skip over the second place team and go straight to the third place team. But when you lose a series to the A's, especially getting swept at home, I think you deserve to be skipped over. Um, they're somehow still above 500, 34 and 32. Uh, but 5-5 five and five in their last 10, they lost four in a row. Not looking too great for them. Then you have the Cubs. They are six and a half games back. I'm starting to lose faith that this team can be a postseason contender. They just don't look that good. And even in this division, they just have failed to make up ground. Um, just not looking that great at four and six in their last 10. And then you have the Cardinals, who are currently only a few games ahead of the Rockies for the worst record um, in the National League overall, just a half game ahead and only a few uh, percentage points ahead of them and the Nationals. Uh, but Cardinals, 27 and 39, don't really know what they do from here. I mean, they've had, they have the talent. They have Goldschmidt, they have Arenado, Nolan Gorman's having a good season, but they just do not have starting pitching. And that has been uh, the big issue for them all year long. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the reason why they haven't been able to uh, have a good start to the year. They have basically the flip side of the Dodgers record. And I think really the only difference between those two teams, they've allowed the exact same amount of runs. But the Dodgers actually have, I would argue, a World Series caliber offense, and the Cardinals just have a good offense. And you can't take bad pitching and win with a good offense. Um, The Dodgers literally only trailing the Rangers and the Rays in runs scored this year. Meanwhile, the Cardinals more in the middle of the pack behind a team like Cincinnati, behind the Diamondbacks by a sizable measure, only two runs ahead of the Giants. I mean, I could go on and on about different teams, but the Dodgers have a pretty... It's the Rangers and the Rays at the top. Rangers with 400 runs scored. Rays with 391, which is ridiculous. Then there's a very large gap. And then you have the Dodgers at 367. And then there's a really large gap to anybody else in the league. But the Cardinals haven't been able to get that offense. And they still have that poor pitching. So as a result, you have this team in last place in their division. Okay, well, let's talk about that division with the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks, the National League West. Well, the Diamondbacks barely have a better pitching staff than the Dodgers. Um, Only nine fewer runs allowed in the course of the season, 296 runs allowed, uh, a plus 40 run differential, which is worse than the Dodgers, who are at plus 62, the second best run differential in the National League. But the road record is what changes the battle between these two teams. The Dodgers now, after going two and four on a road trip in Cincinnati and Philadelphia, are 17 and 19 on the road this season. I don't know really how that's happened, but they got to figure that one out. Um, Maybe it's just luck because they've been on the road against either tough teams or just going on the road in bad stretches for the team overall. But three and seven in the last 10 for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, Diamondbacks have been on fire. Um, They have won five in a row. They're eight and two in their last 10. Yes, it does matter that half of those games are against the Nationals, the Tigers, and the Rockies, but they still did play the Braves. They did lose that series against the Braves. But those are their only two losses in their last 10 games. So that should go uh, and show something for itself. Just overall, a really good team. They're going to be there the whole year. The Dodgers are going to have to really scrap and fight um, to win this division. And they're going to have to get some better pitching, um, probably at the trade deadline. I don't think they can only rely on the IL guys because that didn't really work out last year for the Dodgers. Um, and then you have the Giants. They're above 500. I would pick the Giants to be leading the NL Central right now. If they were if they were in it, they would be my pick to win it. They really feel like an NL Central-esque team. Um, but unfortunately, being NL Central-esque isn't enough to be even above third place in the National League West. Um, and also, having, 200, having a $250 million payroll is not enough to be above fourth place in the West, as that is what the Padres are at. They are 31-34, and 34, uh, just a half a game better than the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, just a half a game worse than the Mariners. 
the same record as the Guardians, not where the Padres thought they would be. Um, but six and four in their last ten, so they've kind of started to turn around. But at the same time, they're nine games back of Arizona. So if Dodgers fans feel bad about how their season is going, you can only imagine how Padres fans feel after they thought that they had finally eclipsed the Dodgers by a beating them in the postseason last year and b making all the moves in the offseason to get better. And then you finally have the Rockies at 27 and 40, not really making too much noise. I don't really know how they ever make noise in this division if they're just not going to spend money. And when they do, it's not really on good players. And then their prospect capital isn't that great either. So I don't really know how they're going to get back to those levels that they were at with uh, Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story in the past. But until they find their next Arenado and Story, it's going to be rough for the Rockies. Maybe if they only play road games in Oakland. Because road games are their Achilles heel. Um, all right, well, that wraps our look at Major League Baseball for this week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, June 19th, where we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions, which might include some college action on the uh, in the diamond, continue our review of the NBA and NHL finals, and have our weekly look at Major League Baseball. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games or series, that will be posted, as always, on Thursday, and his MLB Power Rankings that are updated every Wednesday on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.